Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So, take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome everybody to another episode of Dr. Matt and Dr. Mike's medical podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Mike Todorovic. I'm joined by my co-host, Dr. Matthew Barton. How are you, Matt? Hi, Mike. You good? That's I'm very well. Aussie. I'm well. So Aussie. Well, we had a weekend of footies. Footies. Footy, one, two, three, footy. Yeah, the football. So both the Brisbane teams lost. Yes. And for our international listeners, <laughs> that means nothing. Well, Brisbane, hopefully people have heard of Brisbane outside Australia. You reckon? Third biggest city in Australia. It's the largest city in Queensland, which is... <laughs> Why do you know these <laughs> Brisbane stats? Um, so the... Anyway, go on. <laughs> no one wants to hear a Dr. Matt and Dr. Mike's geography lesson. Talking about... I don't think people listen to us to talk about sport, which is fine because I don't care much about sport unless... I'm playing it and I'm the center of attention. Uh, but we like did have podcast. two grand finals. We had the Australian Football League grand finals, the AFL, where Brisbane was the team. Brisbane Lions. But they lost. And then we had the Just. Rugby League grand final where the Brisbane Broncos. Which is slightly different to Rugby Union, which currently there is a uh, Rugby Union Welcome to Dr. Matt, Dr. Mike's Rugby and Football Podcast. Now, did you know that... Um, well, there isn't a state-based um, rugby union team in the World Cup. It's obviously Australia, but Australia's yep. been knocked out. Really? <laughs> so we're not doing well in that either. I thought we just played Samoa or something we beat, yesterday. We beat, beat Portugal, Portugal, but we got beaten by Wales and oh. Fiji. There you go. Fiji's pretty good though. Mm, they are good. All right. Okay. So, so Australia's they- out. First time. It's kind of like the, like Germany in the soccer World Cup. Oh, yeah. Out in the pool round. They weren't stoked with that. And we're probably not going to be stoked with being out of the union. Well, my, my dad's Kiwi, so I'm going to All Blacks. Oh, there you go. Perfect. Easy way out. Well, for me, I just don't watch it. It's an easier <laughs> way out. All right. We're talking today about arterial blood gases. 
ABGs, not to get confused with AGBs, which are... AGBs. After grog bog, there's another Australian term for you, <laughs> which uh, I remember grog, being... You had to explain what grog is. So grog is alcohol. And I remember in, in my 20s, uh, not me, but friends of mine would say, oh, no, I've got to take an after grog bog, an AGB, which supposedly was a terrible, terrible uh, bowel movement after a night on the alcohol. I would not know. So You never had one? No, I've never defecated. <laughs> so, but my breath stinks. <laughs> but... No, not AGB, ABG, arterial blood gases, which is going to be a, a clinical way of evaluating somebody's pH and also the cause of the P, possible pH disturbance yeah. or change. And so I think this then sort of leads us to having to talk about pH. Uh, one of our prior episodes, we spoke about buffering. So we did extensively go into pH, pH changes and the way that the body sort of tries to compensate and maintain a relatively stable pH. But I think we do need to reintroduce pH into this episode yes. just in case that one person that listens to our podcast decided not to listen to the buffering episode. Agreed. Agreed? Agreed. Agreed. Uh, pH. But it could also be called, called VBGs as well. Really? So not just A, arterial Very blood gas. Very good. But ve- oh, Venus. No. Venus. Oh, blood venous gas. blood gas. So not just arterial. Yeah. Are we going to talk about that? Well, I think we should. Right. What, not, 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 not right now. Okay. But I believe that it's been conducted more clinically now because it's just easier to get venous blood than it is to get arterial blood. All right. We'll talk about that shortly. Uh, but before we do, pH. Yeah. pH stands for the power of hydrogen ions or the potential of hydrogen ions. And basically when you're measuring the pH inside of a solution – and in this case, it's going to be the body. What solution do you want? I've got, I've got all the solutions you could think of oh, right in front of me. Milk. <laughs> uh, oh, milk, I think – I actually don't have that one. <laughs> Unless it's breast milk. Yes, I've got okay. breast milk. Do you have breast milk? All right. Uh, breast milk has a range of 6.4 to 7.6 pH. Oh. So it – well, it kind of – Slightly acidic, yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, stomach acid? Well, that would depend on if you've just eaten yeah. or if your stomach's empty. Let's just say I've just uh, eaten a delicious cheeseburger and I'm trying to digest those proteins. Probably ballpark two. Okay. pH of two. All right. Uh, and what about uh, bile? Bile is getting closer to the basic. Um, let me find bile coming straight. Well, it's coming out of your liver. It's 7.5. Right. So it's more basic. But then it gets more acidic in your gallbladder. Okay. So your gallbladder, because it concentrates the bile, presumably makes it slightly more acidic. But then it meets up with its best friend, the bicarbonate pancreatic juices. Yep. And that's going to be much more basic. So approaching nine. Okay. Okay. Let's just ignore all that (laughs) and talk about – so basically – This is in your body anyway. Yeah. So you've thrown out a bunch of numbers. And these numbers sit between 0 and 14. I think you basically said... Basically. <laughs> the most acidic location in your body is going to be your stomach. Yeah. And the most basic is going to be your pancreas. Yeah. Okay. And then your blood is as kind of neutral as it's going to be in your physiological processes. Yeah. So if you were to have a look at... Okay. The pH range is zero, between 0 to 14, right? And this, this is a number that is representative 
of the concentration of hydrogen ions in your body. So when we say hydrogen ions, we're talking about hydrogen. So remember, you've got all of these atoms on the periodic table, hydrogen, helium, lithium, beryllium, boron, carbon, nitrogen, oxygen, fluorine, neon, sodium, magnesium. Is that blah, blah, blah. in order? Yes. Okay. So if you have a look, our body is going to have a number of those elements from the periodic table inside of us, mm-hmm. and some of them will have a charge. So this includes hydrogen, this includes sodium, potassium, chloride, Do we have all magnesium, the elements calcium. in our body? We do not. No, only around about 59 okay. of the 118-odd elements of the periodic table. And so some of them need that charge. And so hydrogen is one of them. So if you have a look at, um, if I were to take your blood right now and measure the concentration of these charged elements from the periodic table, you'd it'll have a measurement, Right. And that's going to be in a unit. So the units could be millimoles per litre. It could be milli equivalents. It could be deciliter, whatever. Let's just say millimoles per litre. That's what we're going to use now. And if I were to measure the... For everything today? For Sure. Okay. Yeah. Um, So I measure your uh, concentration of sodium in your blood, right? In millimoles per litre, do you know what it's probably going to be around about? I should point out here that when you take blood, it is a representation of extracellular fluid. So all the stuff bathing yourself. That's right. All right. So, Sorry, question? Nope. Okay, pull it out. Sodium concentration, what is it in millimoles per litre? Uh, 135, 145. Okay, so it's around about 142 millimoles per litre. Uh, potassium, K plus? 3.5 to 5. Okay. Uh, millimoles per litre? Yep. All right, we'll stick. Or we'll stick to All right. Um, uh, do you know what chloride might be? 100, 105, 110. Okay. Uh, call, it a, call it 104. Because that's going to be important a bit later on. Hydrogen ions. Um, Mm. This is where you need a a scientific calculator (laughs) with a lot of decimal points. Yeah. So it's 0.00004 millimoles per litre. Right. So that's a small number and we don't want to write a number so small with so few zeros. And so... And if it wasn't moles per litre, it would be... Seven zeros, right? Yeah, it'll be 0.00000004 moles per litre. So there's seven zeros before the four and that's important. Yes, I it suspect. is. It is. It is because some smart people go, I don't want to write it with all these zeros because if I add a zero or remove a zero, well, it's the difference between life and death. So they go, let's figure out another way to write it. And one way that if you know your, I don't know, year 10 maths, if you want to get rid of a bunch of zeros in a number, uh, if, if it's a Using posit- an eraser or liquid, liquid paper. <laughs> that's, that's how you did it, hence why you went into biology. Uh, if the number is greater than one, you can get rid of those zeros um, by just taking the log of the number, right? But if the number's below one, you can take the negative log. And so in this case, we're going to take the negative log. So if you were to take the negative log of... What you just said. 0.00000004 mole or molar, the number you're going to get is 7.4. Yeah, which is smack bang where your blood pH should be. That's right. So all that pH is saying, the pH of your blood being 7.4, is exactly like saying the concentration of hydrogen ions in your blood is 0.00000004 molar. Okay. Or 0.00004 millimolar per, or millimoles per litre. Or four nanomolar Or per four litre. nanomolar per litre. That's right. Mm. So, again, pH is just another one. Now, because it is negative log, it's 
inverse. Yeah. So right. this is where it becomes uh, not difficult, but sometimes students will slip up. Yeah. So the lower the pH number, so if it's seven, it's going to be there's going to be zero followed by seven zeros, a zero dot, then seven zeros, and then a number. Uh, if it's a pH of six, there's like only it's six a, zeros. Urine or saliva. Yeah. If it's a there's pH. actually more hydrogen in that. So the numbers are getting smaller, but there's actually tenfold more hydrogen ions. That's right. That's right. So, so this is where it sometimes gets confusing. Yes. But at the end of the day, all you need to know is that if something's of a pH of seven and below, so from zero to seven, it's acidic, which means there's a lot of hydrogen ions. Like and, HCl? Yep. Like hydrochloric acid. Or if it's above seven to fourteen, it's going to be there's going to have less hydrogen ions, and we term that solution more basic. So it's yep. just all pH is is the measurement of free floating hydrogen ions in the solution. That's it, right? Got it. And the reason why this is a problem, the reason why we talk about pH so much as an issue, is because hydrogen is the smallest atom on the periodic table, and when it's got a little, it's a small hydrogen. It's got this positive charge and it's really good at sneaking around and stealing. Sounds like you. Thank you. And stealing. Yes, that's true. Small, very sneaky. energetic, sneaky. Uh, steals. Steals. <laughs> steals electrons from uh, a whole bunch of structures and we know that something that's really negatively charged has all these negative electrons associated with it is proteins. And because everything that's functional is made up of proteins – if we've got too many free-floating hydrogen ions, it's going to disrupt the proteins. Okay. So, oh, okay. Yep. Right. So the proteins they won't work properly. Same. So where are they, where are these proton proteins found? Everywhere, man. They're in the blood. They're in the body. They make up you. They make up me. They're functional. They can be receptors. They can be carrier molecules. They can be neurotransmitters. They can be everything and anything that has function or structure. So, so what you're saying both. is if the hydrogen balance is either too much or not enough, then this is going to affect the way that protein structures are maintained. Yeah, that's Which it. then, as we know, this, this term would be called denature yep. or denaturing. And we know that if you change the structure of a protein, its function will probably turn off. Is that correct? Yeah, or change. And so this is pretty much, I was going to say basic, but then I get confused. This is pretty much why... A slight derangement of pH has devastating effects in the body. Yeah, because as soon as you bug your proteins up, nothing works. Nothing works. Right. Uh, so does that make sense? It does. Okay, that's good. And this is why we need to maintain it in smack bang around 7.4. Yeah, 7.35, 7.45, so yeah, 7.4. So in saying that, uh, we need to understand all the things that can alter hydrogen ion concentration, right? And there's a whole bunch of stuff. First point we should probably state is that when you undergo metabolism, so you take your three main macronutrients, proteins, fats, and carbohydrates, right? Okay. When so you, metabolism is in making energy. Yeah. The whole point of us ingesting food in the form of proteins, fats, and carbs is to one, make energy and two, have the resources or building blocks to maintain structure. Okay. Right. So we need the energy and the structure. So energy in the form of ATP. Yep. So your question is how do we make Didn't ATP through, <laughs> through the diet? Now, did you say macronutrients? I just asked you what the three were. Okay, I was yeah, getting there. But that's okay. All right. The three macronutrients that you would typically ingest would be carbohydrate, yep. fats, and proteins. Very good. Okay, mm. congratulations. You've passed grade three. So if you take carbohydrates and fats and you metabolize them to make this energy – 
it releases carbon dioxide. All of them? Protein, uh, sorry, yeah. fats mm-hmm. and carbohydrates, just those two. Fats and carbohydrates, when you metabolize, metabolize them, it produces carbon-based acids. And what that means is carbon dioxide. But you could make an argument that proteins also, right? Because it doesn't doesn't breaking up the protein into amino acids, then breaking the amino acid into its carbon end. Doesn't that kind of go into sugar? No. Okay. No. So it releases into sugar. Like glucose based. No. So what what ends up happening is that, I mean, if you're talking about using amino acids within the Krebs cycle to make energy... Mm. Uh, yes, you could, but I'm talking about the direct meta- uh, metabolism of these. So using proteins as an energy source isn't preferable. Usually it's as a building block, right? Okay. So when we take carbohydrates and we take fats and we split them up and rearrange them, ultimately we release hydrogen ions and electrons, but we also release carbon dioxide. Okay. And we end up releasing around about 15,000 moles of carbon dioxide every day. What does that what, make that into some reference? It's around about 300 liters of carbon dioxide gas. 300 liters, like a bath. Yeah, but of gas. Of gas. <laughs> well, I'd have baths with gas. Well, you have a bath and then make <laughs> gas. So, 300 liters of carbon dioxide sounds like a ridiculous amount, but if you think about it, we probably exhale. 12,000 litres of carbon dioxide a day. So, but, you know, a significant number of that, 300 litres comes just from metabolising carbohydrates and fats. So 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 say that again. So you are making 300 litres of CO2 a day, but you just said we'd breathe more out. Yes. So where's the extra coming from? So it's coming from other processes. So all the cells of your body. Oh, okay. So this is just from energy metabolism. This is just from breaking these molecules up and releasing carbon dioxide, right? But all the cells of your body are going to be producing carbon dioxide as a byproduct as well. So here's an important point is that before I move on to the next point, the reason why we're bringing this up is because when carbon dioxide is released, it mixes in with the fluids of your body, which is mostly water. And when... CO2, carbon dioxide, mixes with water, H2O, smush those elements together, you produce H2CO3. Yes, we spoke about this last podcast on the buffering system. So this is probably the most important buffering equation when it comes to, well, the bicarbonate buffering equation when all the different buffering systems, right? Yeah. This one is probably the most important to learn. So when it comes together, it forms H2CO3, which is carbonic acid. And the definition of an acid is it hates itself and splits itself apart. Is that really the definition? So it's my I, defi- look, every time I say I, that I'm to students, I'm pretty sure if you look that up in students have Oxford that in exams. <laughs> it I'm, hates itself. Yeah, it hates itself, so it splits itself apart and releases a hydrogen ion, but also releases its conjugate base. So here's the thing about acids: all acids release hydrogen ions, H plus, also known so as protons. A, so that's the definition. It's a, a hydrogen donator. Yep. But what's left over is it doesn't just release that and then there's nothing. It, it, you pull an H plus off it mm-hmm. and so it's... Left with the base. Left with a negatively charged something. And that's going to be important a bit later when we talk about anions and anion gap. Yes. So take carbonic acid in this case, carbon dioxide mixes with water, produces carbonic acid, releases hydrogen ions, H plus, and it's left with HCO3 negative, which is bicarbonate ion. And that's the conjugate base which means it's reversible because bases, by definition, 
can mop up. Love themselves. They love, yeah. (laughs) They love themselves so they want more. So they bind to hydrogen ions and can mop up to form an acid, the conjugate acid. So this equation, like you just said, is the bicarbonate buffer equation. Goes in two two directions. Two directions and there's multiple parts, CO2 and H2O. Then there's carbonic acid. So CO2 is made in every single cell in the body. Yep. Water's everywhere. Yep. So that works out well. Yep. Carbonic acid splits pretty quickly. It doesn't like staying as it is. Correct. Hates itself, mate. And separates into hydrogen ions and bicarbonate. That's right. And anytime you have free-floating hydrogen ions in a solution, the pH will drop, Mm -hmm. i.e. become more acidic. And the problem with having all these excessive hydrogen ions is in a location either in a cell or in extracellular fluid, they're likely the protein's going to be buffering these things up, which yes. then changes its structure, which is the problem. That is exactly right. Okay. So that's the first thing is that you produce carbon dioxide through metabolizing carbohydrates and fats, 300-odd litres of it, right? Uh, but that carbon dioxide can undergo that process to form hydrogen ions. So makes the solution acidic. Mm. But that's not the only way your body or aspects of the body can become acidic because protein and amino acid metabolism can produce non-carbonic acids and, again, directly produce hydrogen ions because they're called amino acids. So they can release acids directly. But there's a whole bunch of other processes. Again, listen to the buffering uh, podcast that our body can produce hydrogen ions. But I think here what we need to talk about is the fact that we we may produce all these hydrogen ions, right, in the body, but the body's really good at buffering it out, mm. right? So I could effectively inject into you a lot of acid and your pH would probably only drop from 7.4 to maybe 6.4. So when you say acid, you mean... Hydrochloric acid okay, or just not, hydrogen ions? Not something you'd do at a rock concert? No, 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 no. Okay. No. D- different podcast. D- yeah. Um, different episode. Uh, different time in your life. So uh, because it only drops now, dropping from a six point, uh, 7.4 to 6.4 sounds like, oh, that's not much. But that's, I mean, that's, that's 10 times the amount of hydrogen ion change, right? Because remember, each time you drop from one pH unit to the next, you're changing it by 10 times, which means you're adding or removing a zero, Yep. right? All right, so. So you said, Injecting your or my blood yep. with be an acid, yeah. hydrochloric acid, this would, um, what would happen? Oh, well, you would die, uh, especially <laughs> Depends if- Depends on how, how much, I guess. If it dropped down to 6.4, you'd be getting very, very sick to the point that you would probably be close to dying if your kidneys weren't overwhelmed. So your body goes, oh, too many hydrogen ions. I'm going to mop it up and it binds to the bicarbonate to- produce carbonic acid, which will split apart in the opposite direction and produce carbon dioxide. Okay. And you try and hyperventilate to breathe it out. Get rid of the CO2. So it tries to get rid of it through breathing. And that's a very fast way of doing it. Yeah, super immediate. Or it'll tell the kidneys, which is a bit slower, hey, excrete that hydrogen ion out in my urine and try and reabsorb more bicarbonate to try and mop it up. Right. So this is likely to take a day to do this. Yeah. And at the end of the day, what we've just spoken about is your that sort of covers everything in regards to the way your body tries to manage deviations in acid base imbalances, which then leads us into arterial blood gases and what it all means. Okay. Because we haven't spoken about the specific mechanisms like 
osses or mm. oses. Well, let's do that and now. Then then. Emirs. Okay. All right, you start. Well, we know, which one do you want to start with, osses or emirs? Uh, we'll start with emirs. Sure. Emir, we already know that this means blood. Yep. Okay, so we've got condition. If anyone watches Chubby Emu, there is a meme that he has where he puts his finger up in the air and he goes, Emir means presence in the blood. Okay. There's T-shirts. You can probably you can buy those T-shirts. Anyway, Chubby Emu is amazing. Watch him on YouTube. He basically just goes through uh, crazy case studies. Yeah, sort of like uh, this guy drank 40 cans of mother. What happened, happened to his, his heart? Yeah. yeah. I, I use his case scenarios a couple of times in class. Really? Uh, Even though they're outrageous and no, there was a good happened. one. There was a, yeah, it's, it makes it difficult because it's a good, <laughs> it's a very good video production and it's very catchy and yeah, they're awesome. engaging. But I use why aren't one. we engaging? I don't know. Probably me. Um, <laughs> Listeners I use, write in and agree. <laughs> uh, I um, used it for melanoma. Right. So a farmer. This is his case. A okay. farmer had this lesion. Yeah. Um, had no time to be sick, so he just cut it out himself. Right. So he just hacked the lesion out, wrapped it up, got on with his farming, yep. and then sometime later he noticed a lump under his armpit on the same arm, and then a bit later on still he started to get neurological deficits. Boy. So obviously melanoma spread in. Metastasized. Yeah, yeah. Oh. So I, I use it as a, a case example in my uh, cancer topic. Okay. Mm. That was a bit depressing, wasn't it? So, emia? Okay, so emia just basically... <laughs> so anyway, emia means relating to blood. So you could have an anemia or hypoxemia yep. or hyperkalemia. So this just refers to something in blood. Okay, yep. so when we're referring to emia in the context of today, you could have acidemia, yep. which would be acid in blood. Yep. So, the, or, so a high concentration of hydrogen ions in the blood or, is acidemia. Or alkalemia. Which is a low concentration of hydrogen ions in the blood. Yep. Now, the processes that either raise or lower these hydrogen ions is called an osis. Osis. So osis, I guess, just means a process of. So osis is a process. Ah, very good. Nice. Okay. So anything that will raise the concentration of hydrogen ions in the blood is called an acidosis. And anything that reduces the concentration of hydrogen ions in the blood is an alkalosis. That's right. All right. So we've got emias and oses. Anything else that we need to define? No, we then forward? basically. Stop playing basically. When Say you. Say um, <laughs> But particularly when we look at processes in the whole body, because right. you could have, when we talk about the pH and abnormalities or derangements, yeah. you could have, particularly when we look at the that equation, the, the bicarbonate buffering equation. We could, because you spoke about CO2. Yep. Yes, it does get made in every cell, but there's only one location in the body that can really truly get rid of it, and that's True. the lungs. True, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Whereas... Have you ever tried to uh, wee out carbon dioxide? Well, I guess in some ways you probably do. Okay, let's not but go into But not that. directly. No. Like breathing it out. No. No. I've never... Yeah. It right. just gets... It could get repackaged into other um, molecules, which you could... Possibly make a case for a weak argument for, but yeah, like a acid. <laughs> but in the true sense, to get rid of CO2, you have to breathe it out. Okay. Now, so, when you go to the other end of the equation where you had the, the hydrogen and the bicarbonate, yep. again, multiple things could be making these things mm-hmm. or altering them, but it's really the kidneys that 
maintain it or regulate it. So if if we were to, and if you're watching this as a YouTube video, uh, you probably will be seeing the equation jump up on the screen yeah. right now, fingers crossed. Uh, you'll see that on the end that's got the CO2, the lungs deal with the CO2, mm. right? And then on the other end with the hydrogen ions and bicarbonate, the kidneys deal with that. So you've got this beautiful equation where you can change the pH of your blood uh, by either breathing or by playing around with the kidneys. Yeah. Right. So which is a, a good indication as to what might be happening if anything's out of whack pH-wise. That's right. So you could effectively take some parts of that equation. You could measure some of those things in somebody's body and measure the balance and range of them. That's right. And it might give you an indication as to whether the pH is out of whack because the respiratory side isn't working properly or whether the renal or metabolic side isn't working properly. That's right. That's right. Okay. Now, with that it's said now, because you're focusing, let's say you're focused on the carbon dioxide end. All right. Because you really only got one organ that can get rid of it. Yes. You can only really have one respiratory driven osis at one time. So okay. you can't have a acidosis and an alkalosis from a respiratory issue at, at the same time. Okay. Okay. Does yeah. that make sense? You can't have a respiratory acidosis and a respiratory alkalosis. Correct. You can only have one or the other. That's right. And it makes sense because you're either breathing out that CO2 yeah. or you're not. So you're either <laughs> you can't hypoventilating or yeah. hyperventilating. Yeah. You can't do both. No. That's right. Now, uh, when you go to the other end. If you do, you're just, normally, you're just doing normal breathing. <laughs> there we go. You go to the other end, which could be conditions that are making too much acid yeah. or losing acid yeah. or conditions that are losing bicarbonate or gaining bicarbonate. So, for example, I could be... Uh, vomiting, which is losing. Well, I'm going to get to this, so don't spoil it. Oh, but I'm just giving an okay. example yeah. in which I could lose all the hydrogen ions just say from vomiting because my stomach's got a lot of so hydrogen acidic, ions. Yeah. But at the same, <clears throat> but at the same time, I might have a problem with um, my pancreas. Yep. And I'm not producing enough, or I'm producing too much bicarbonate, maybe. Okay. So you, so you could have. Oh, I've got. Or I'm not producing enough. Yep. So you could have the alkalosis from losing hydrogen ions, but you can also have an acidosis by losing or not producing enough bicarbonate ions. Yeah. And it's like, whoa. A, so when we look at these metabolic. so when we look at these derangements, anything that affects the CO2 is yep. respiratory. Okay. And everything at the other end, because it's whole body, yep. we call it metabolic. And at the end of the day, it's all affecting hydrogen ions. Yeah. So you could take the hydrogen ions out of that, right? And say the hydrogen ions equal the bicarbonate over carbon dioxide? Yeah, so that's the um, Henderson-Hasselbalch equation. It is, a, it is an altered Henderson-Hasselbalch equation because I hate the Henderson. You hate that guy? No, I don't hate whoever, whoever Henderson-Hasselbalch is. Henderson the, the guy with the TV show? No idea. Oh, okay. Um, who are you talking about? Uh, keep going. Okay. So I remember doing bike. Harry and the Hendersons. Are you talking about the Bigfoot? <laughs> yeah, <it is>. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I remember watching Harry. So strange you said that. Yesterday driving home, I remembered Harry and the Hendersons. And it may be because I was thinking about this equation. Anyway, go. the equations, uh, and I'm going to be blasted by biochemists here. Uh, the equation is dumb. 
Now, it's not dumb because it's useless. It's just dumb because it's not necessarily an intuitive equation. But you can take the Henderson-Hasselbalch equation and you can rearrange it. So in this case, when we talk about uh, pH and arterial blood gases, just have the concentration of bicarbonate at the top of the fraction mm-hmm. and the partial pressure of carbon dioxide at the bottom of the fraction. Oh, it's got to stay in balance. And it's got to stay in balance. And that equals the hydrogen ion concentration, also known as the pH, Yeah. right? And so something we haven't spoken about yet is the partial pressure of carbon dioxide. We've spoken about carbon dioxide, but we haven't spoken about what partial pressure means. And effectively, because carbon dioxide is a gas, gases only move down a pressure gradient. Henry's law. It is Henry's law, yes. So that's the solubility of carbon dioxide in water. Yes. Well, uh, yes, that's right. But you could also say Dalton's law is about partial pressures more specifically mm. because the solubility of a gas is related to its partial pressure, but each gas has a different solubility. Yeah. So, so CO2 is more soluble in, in water than oxygen, for instance. Yes. And Dalton's law is specifically about partial pressures. But for today, we're just going to keep us at sea level. All right. So basically the partial pressure is the pressure of that one gas. And so gases only move down their own concentration gradients, just like ions will move down their own concentration gradient. So the partial pressure of carbon dioxide, for example, we would measure in millimetres of mercury. So there goes your millimolar thing that you said you're going to use Well, that's why I laughed and said, yeah, okay. And then I went, oh, maybe. So if you now have... CO2 in this equation and bicarbonate in this equation, bicarbonate over CO2, that's basically looking at whether something's respiratory-based or metabolic-based. Now, somebody could have asked, why isn't hydrogen ions in the equation since it's all about hydrogen ions? Because it's about the hydrogen ions is what we're finding out about. That's the pH equals the bicarbonate over the partial pressure of the carbon dioxide to tell us about the pH derangement. And if the pH derangement is due to a change in the carbon dioxide, we can go, oh, it's respiratory-based. So either a respiratory acidosis or a respiratory alkalosis. Or if there's a change in the bicarbonate, we can say it's a metabolic-based acidosis or alkalosis. And it's that easy. Mm -hmm. Now, you can have changes in one or the other, making it a bit more straightforward. But you can have changes in both, which could be a combined or it could be a compensation Right? That's true. Right. Or you could have many at the same time. Very true. And so then by kind of s- summating all of those osises together and then you equate it as an anemia, then it becomes whatever the dominant one is will dictate what the emia is. Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah. So you may have, okay, I'm going to give you an example now. Now, Mike is preparing for a particular event, sporting event, even though oh, he doesn't like watching the event but he likes performing the event. That's right. Now, in this particular event, Mike Mike had to prepare and lose some weight before he gets weighed in. Didn't know I had much to lose. but So to do this, he took a diuretic. All right. He he thought, I need to lose a lot of uh, weight. The best way to lose a lot of fluid is take a loop diuretic. Right. Now, taking a loop diuretic because you're losing a lot of fluid, um, it will contract... Your blood volume. So you mean the blood volume goes down? Yeah, because you're losing free water. So instead of having six litres of blood in my body, I might have five and a half. Yep. 
Now, the location of where the loop diuretic works is kind of downstream from where you reabsorb bicarbonate. Okay. Uh-huh. So you're actually, relative to water loss, you're holding on to more bicarbonate. Okay. Okay. So Mike, by taking this loop diuretic, actually starts to develop metabolic alkalosis. Because I'm reabsorbing more bicarbonate back. Relative to water. Yeah. Okay. Does that make sense? Now, before the event, Mike <laughs> gets a bout of diarrhea. Right. Okay. So he starts crapping himself. Yeah. That's not uncommon for me. <laughs> now, um, what happen- what's the downside of losing a lot of uh, poo is you're not getting- More weight bit- loss. <laughs> More weight loss. Yeah. Very good. We'll get that. That's going to come in a bit further. Um, so losing a lot of fluid, but you're losing fluid so quickly through your GIT track, you're not given a chance to reabsorb your uh, bicarbonate that your pancreas is pushing out. Okay. okay. So you're actually now causing an acidosis, a metabolic acidosis, because your, your gastrointestinal tract is losing bicarbonate. So you've got two processes happening at once. You've right. got your right. kidney issue, well, yep. not really issue from your diuretic, so that's an alkalosis. Yep. And you've got your acidosis coming from just bicarbonate loss through the poo. Okay, so what okay. am I? But wait, oh, you're okay. about to start the event and you get an anxiety attack and start hyperventilating. Yeah, that's happened. Yeah. So now you're losing <laughs> CO2. Yeah, I'm breathing So it all now out. you're developing a respiratory alkalosis. Yes, right? yes, because yeah. I don't have any CO2 in my that's body right. to make acid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you start your competition yeah. and you go into this huge bout of Exertion. anaerobic respiration. So I'm making lactic acid. Lactic acid. So I'm becoming acidotic. Metabolically. Right. right. So I started off having metabolic acidosis. Alkalosis. Alkalosis. From and, the diuretic. And then it became metabolic acidosis. But and it, then it became respiratory alkalosis. And now I've got metabolic acidosis. But my point here is it's not like this happens, then this happens. This could be all happening concurrent to each right. other. So all you're saying is that the hydrogen Multiple processes are happening. Which is changing the hydrogen ion concentration continually. Correct. Now, depending on which one of those four things I just mentioned dominates would determine what your emia is. Right. Does so, that make sense? Yeah. So, base, yeah, it's sort of just like saying um, you could – you've got – three or four pots of paint, right? And you're taking scoops of the paint and putting it into the palette, yeah. right? And you're mixing it up and you're basically saying whichever colour overwhelms the others is the Pretty final much. colour. Yeah. You yeah. might have a whole bunch of different colours yeah. contributing into it. to it, yeah. but it's the final colour. So all those individual pots are the OCs, acidoses, yeah. alkaloses, right. but then the final thing is the emia, which Correct. is going to be the issue. That's right. And that's then you can determine by doing a, a blood gas strip where the dominant issue is, whether there's compensation of the other system trying to deal with it, and they're basically then moving into the root cause to try to rectify the whole issue. All right. So that's uh, confusing but important to bring up. But the point I did it did that particular analogy or well, example so was, was just to show that pooing, hyperventilating. <laughs> Multiple processes could be happening at once. So in your patients, you could have multiple things happening. Yeah, that's right. Don't just think it's just one. You could have a kidney issue, diabetes happening, so ketoacidosis, and you could have them becoming hypervolemic, so a type of shock, and then they're becoming acidotic as a result. True. Yeah, that's a good point. Whilst having COPD. (laughs) Yeah. All right. So let's 
Let's break this down and make this a little bit simpler for everybody now that we're 40 minutes into the podcast. But before we do that, let's stop for a quick break. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. And we're back from that quick break. Wow, how quick was that? Good. Uh, so a couple of things. Uh, when your body's pH changes due to hydrogen ion concentration changes, three things are going to happen. And we've alluded to those. The very first thing that happens is the internal buffers of your body try and either mop up any excess hydrogen ions or release hydrogen ions depending on the pH status. And they could be extracellular, intracellular. Yep. And then the next thing that happens is your breathing can change if it needs to. So that's the next thing. So you can uh, hyperventilate to get rid of more carbon. So really quickly in say a minute, how does your body know to do that? The breathing change? Well, it does it by the fact that if you've got excess hydrogen ions, it binds to the bicarbonate and will ultimately, through that bicarbonate buffer equation, produce carbon dioxide. And that excess carbon dioxide will stimulate uh, chemoreceptive zones mm-hmm. in your various uh, arteries and brainstem, uh, which so carotid, you to- aortic arch, and your CSF yep. brainstem. And that will trigger you to hyperventilate. To that get will trigger your respiratory center to say, speed up your breathing, please. Yep. Or if the CO2 is low, it just inhibits that and you will hypoventilate or breathe normally. Uh, and now I've totally lost track. Oh, yeah. Okay. So breathing. So ventilation. And then the next thing that will happen if you continue to have abnormalities or disturbances in your pH is your kidneys will kick in and start to either excrete hydrogen Hydrogen. ions or reabsorbed bicarbonate or Or both or both or or neither. Right. So those three things, buffers, ventilation, then renal system. Now the concentration of, because the main, the three main things we need to look at now is the pH. So you take an ABG, um, you look at the pH, right? You look at the partial pressure of carbon dioxide and you look at the concentration of bicarbonate ions. And so the pH should be between 7.35 and 7.45. Mm-hmm. The partial pressure of carbon dioxide should be between 36. Just drop the sevens. Oh, yeah. Okay. You can say, yeah. All right. So. Uh, sevens go to heaven. So uh, 35 to 45. Got it. Millimeters of mercury. Mm-hmm. So 7.35, 7.45. Get rid of it. 35 and 45 millimoles. Uh, millimetres of mercury for carbon dioxide. That's good. And then bicarbonate is between 22 and 26 um, millimoles per litre, right? So that's- Possibly up to 28, but yeah. That's in your arterial. Should we say what it is for venous? I don't think it changes dramatically. Well, I can say. So the, the pH is a little bit lower. A little point, bit more acidic. 7.32 to 7.38. And again, uh, you could drop the sevens, but it won't work because it's going to be 42 <laughs> to 48 
Okay. So, so pH drops and CO2 goes up in Venus. Makes what, sense. What, yeah. Why? Why does it make sense? Tell our dear listener. Why? Well, Venus blood is generally being utilised by the tissue and it's going back to the respiratory system to be breathed out, or some of it anyway. Yeah, so the veins of the body take up the CO2 exhaust fumes of the cells to breathe out. And you need this gradient to drive the CO2 across the blood into your alveoli, so to breathe out. Yeah, and the bicarbonate's barely changed for the venous. It's probably a little bit higher, 23 to 27 millimoles per litre. Is that cool? Yep. All right, so if we just focus on arterial at the moment, um, we should have a think about the fact that, like Matt was saying, you can have respiratory-based and metabolic. So respiratory acidosis, respiratory alkalosis. You can have metabolic acidosis, metabolic alkalosis. And if you think of that equation that we spoke about earlier, with you got the concentration of um, bicarbonate on top over, in the equation, partial pressure of carbon dioxide, you can have a look and see what the pH is overall and how those two things change. So what do you want to start with, respiratory acidosis? No, I think we just start with the hardest. Really? Yeah, just get out of that road. I reckon do that. Okay, 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 fine. Because by the time we get to the end of the podcast, people's working memory will be gone. Well, and people be don't like, listen to podcasts in one go, man. They probably listen to this over the span of 16 weeks since it's going to be a four-hour podcast. All right. Um, okay, fine. Metabolic acidosis. Is that where you want to go? Yep. All right. That's where Matt wants to go. So metabolic So let's break you- it down simply. All right. Firstly, it's an acidosis. Yep. So that means the pH has to go down. Yep. So Happy hydrogen with that? ions are going up. Yep. The next, because it's metabolic. Mm-hmm. What you'll be looking for to confirm that it is metabolic is bicarbonate. Yeah. And base, uh, bicarbonate, I'm not going to say basic, but bicarbonate has to go down by definition to make it a metabolic acidosis. Yes. Okay. So, but wait, for the listener, they might be going, why? Why does the bicarbonate, so in a metabolic acidosis, why is the bicarbonate going down? Okay. So, there's a couple of causation reasons for this. Yeah. So, but regardless, there. Well, it's it's either going to be. Well, so why is it going down? Well, it's either freely freely lost in poo or we, yeah, or it's buffering, yeah, an acid. That's that's it. Okay, that's the reason why it's going down in yeah. your blood test, in your blood gas strip. If you see a low pH, so the pH is outside the range of what it should be, and the bicarbonate is lower than it should be, it's by definition a metabolic acidosis process. Going on. So, by now, definition, it has to be a metabolic acidosis, has to be a drop in bicarbonate yeah, levels. That's right. Right. And that drop can be due to a direct loss of bicarbonate or yeah, a reduction, wait, or a reduction, <laughs> or you interrupt every time, or a reduction of bicarbonate because it's binding to free hydrogen ions. Yeah, that's right. All right. And that's a metabolic acid, that's representing metabolic yeah. acidosis. Yep. All right. Now, if we look at that equation, it's just the bicarbonate, right? The CO2 not changing, really. Not straight away. N- not at this point. We're, just, we're not talking we're, about compensation. That's right. We're not talking about compensation. So we're not trying to think how the respiratory system is coming in to deal with this. No. We're not we're talking just, about dealing with it. We're just talking about the issue at hand. Yeah, that's right. CO2's unchanged. It's just the bicarbonate. Yeah. Okay. Now what do you want to talk about? So we know the bicarbonate's gone down. That's representing metabolic acidosis. Should we talk about the causes or do you want to talk about? Well, the causes um, can be categorized as anything that can 
increased hydrogen production. Yep. Okay. Anything that can increase hydrogen ingestion. Yeah. So if you were just to take in acid by ingestion. Yes. Anything increasing free hydrogen ions in the body. Or the body can't excrete hydrogen. So that yep. typically would be the kidney. So it accumulates. Yep. Okay. Or you just lose in bicarbonate through wee or poo. Okay. I've got a mnemonic, which should be able to help us remember this. So mud piles is the one that mud piles typically it. used, Well, but I've changed it. I should, we should say here mud piles. Well, this is going to complicate things. It's a touch more. The other way. Here we go. The other way to categorize, and this is important, particularly clinically. Yeah. The other way to categorize metabolic acidosis is something called high anion gap or normal anion gap metabolic acidosis. Yeah. Let's, Do you want to talk about that now or park it and come back to it? No, let's talk about it now. We'll right. talk about it now. So uh, firstly, the definition, so we spoke about hydrogen ions being an ion, right? Just like sodium, Na+, potassium, K+, chloride, Cl negative, and so forth. You can have positive or negatively charged ions. A positively charged ion is a cation. If you like cats, that's how you can remember that, <laughs> positively charged. Uh, and a negatively charged ion is an anion. Now, generally speaking, the body loves to balance both concentrations and charges within the yes. body, right? So if you were to add up all the positively charged cations in the body and all the negatively charged anions, it should theoretically be a charge of, a net charge of zero. So equal. Equal, right? Net charge of zero. Unless it's maybe an excitable tissue. Yes. And you're set in action potentials. Exactly. Okay. So now the thing is you can't gra- – to measure – as a scientist or as a- So if that was out of balance, would that mean you, you'd just be like full of static electricity uh, and be zapping people? No, because that's only at the periphery. But you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I mean, uh, the ch- it's it, charge differences across membranes is what causes yeah, electrical impulses. Yeah. Yeah. But in theory, that's what would happen. Yes. Okay. Let's go with that. I like that. Okay. It's not correct. <laughs> so it's sure. like you're wearing nylon pants. Well, which you are. And unfortunately, <laughs> people can't see in the video- <laughs> All right. Um, Don't wear nylon pants whilst filling up your car with petrol. Very true. Yes. I've learned that the and, hard way. And then don't moonwalk to the counter <laughs> or register to pay for it. So um, if you were to add up all the cations and anions, it should be around about an, an equal or negative yeah, charge, right? Uh, sorry, a, a zero charge. So they neutralized each other. That's out. it. But the thing is that if uh, scientists and doctors, we can't calculate everything, Everything, right? So what we do is try and calculate the majority of the positive stuff and the majority of the negative stuff. So the majority of the positive stuff, because we're taking it from your blood, is extracellular. Extracellular. And the most abundant extracellular positive thing is? Sodium. Sodium. All right. So that's, we've got sodium. That's our representative of all the positive stuff, right? And then to represent all the negative stuff, we've got two things, chloride which yep. we know is with sodium outside the cell because sodium chloride is salt. You know, it sits outside the cell. So we've got chloride and then we've got bicarbonate. So if you to add up all the sodium and minus all the chloride and all the bicarbonate, what you get is something approaching zero to, of neutral, but it's not. It's what, four to 12? Yeah, three, right? three to 12, yeah. Millimoles per liter? Milliequivalents. Milliequivalents, yeah. So it's around about that. So we know that that's the gap that we have between the positive and negative stuff. <coughs> now, you might be and asking- And that's called the anion gap. It's called the anion gap. Now, you might be asking, 
Who cares about <laughs> an anion gap when we're talking about pH here? You haven't even said anything about hydrogen ions. So how is this important? Well, it's important in metabolic acidosis because of bicarbonate. Yeah. The bicarbonate levels effectively will change in metabolic acidosis. As we said, by definition, bicarbonate levels should drop, right? Yes, that's right. But the thing is, if by you can have... Bicarbonate levels changing to greater degrees. Yep. So give us an example of a normal anion gap, which is between 4 to 12, and a larger anion gap. Okay. So what do you, when you said give so, an example, do you mean a condition that would cause this? Yeah. So, okay. So if, for example, um, I measured your – you've got metabolic acidosis okay. and I measure your anion gap yep. and it's – Seven, right? Okay, so it's normal. Okay, that's a normal anion gap. But I have metabolic acidosis because my pH is low yeah. and my bicarbonate is low. Okay. Yeah, so people so might say, but if your bicarbonate's low, shouldn't your anion gap be, be larger? Larger. Yeah. So okay. explain. So going back to the way you explained it is in your blood, you have positive negative things and they must be equal to make your blood electrically neutral. Now, the way we are measuring it is looking at sodium versus those two other ones. Yep. But that gap, that three, what do we call it? Three to 11. Yeah, four to 12, I said, but yeah. Yeah, okay, three to 12. We'll we'll say three to 12. That gap is still things, but we just can't measure it. Yeah. And they are what we call negatively charged things. So if you were... Can I do it the other way around? I think the other way would be easier. Do it any way you want. Yeah. Any way you want. So I'm going to do the high anion gap sure. ones. So if you were um, in, a, in a state where you're, there's increased acids being produced, so let's say you had diabetes, type 1 diabetes, and you poor, were poorly managed in this situation and you started because you had no insulin in the body, so you've run out of insulin completely. Yeah. What the body kind of does when it has zero insulin, it thinks, oh, we're in a starvation state. Yep. We need to recruit other material to make our energy. And mm-hmm. one way is it just starts recruiting lots and lots of fatty acids. Yep. So the fatty acid should give it away in the sense that it's going to start producing acid. All right. Now, this process is sending lots and lots of fat to the liver and the liver gets overwhelmed by it and says, I can't make so much glucose of all the fat you're sending me. I need to make... Ketones instead. Yep. So the liver starts pumping out these ketones, which are ketoacids, and this is called ketogenesis. Yep. And by doing this process, you're making lots of organic acid. Yep. Okay. So your blood is getting filled up with this organic acid. Yeah. Okay. So as you said earlier, what's an organic acid? Or Sorry, what's an acid? It's a thing that donates hydrogen. Yeah. So as soon as the liver's pumping into the blood, it's pretty much separating into hydrogen, which is why your pH is going down. Yeah. But now you're left with this conjugate base, Yeah. whatever it is. But the, you've got this big negative thing. Lactate. Okay. Well, not oh. lactate, sorry. Uh, uh, the keto base. Yeah, the yeah. keto base. So now you've got this negative thing yep. that is taken up, that kind of neutrality. So that okay. gap that was that's normally there of negative 12 – um, yeah, negative three, three to negative. Yeah. Oh, sorry, three to twelve has now increased. That's right, exactly. because we've 
you've got organic acids that are taken up the slack of the bicarbonate. Yeah. But because you're only taking the blood and looking at chloride and bicarbonate specifically, yeah. it looks like the gap has gotten bigger. Yeah. But it hasn't. It's just there's more acids negative in there, more negative. That yeah. aren't being taken Recorded into account. For. That's yes. right. Yes, exactly right. So that makes sense. So therefore, when you look at metabolic acidosis, one section that we can look at is all the causes that have large anion gaps. Okay. And these are basically acid forming molecules. So anything that acid is being added to your system, whether through ingestion, you're ingesting acid or your body is making acid, you're going to start to get a high anion gap metabolic acidosis. And that's due to the conjugate base that's produced from that Correct. acid. Yep. All right. So anything that's not directly affecting our bicarbonate levels is going to be that's producing a conjugate base will increase the anion gap. Yeah. So um, the anion gap, so the, in both cases, the metabolic acidosis is going to result in low bicarbonate, but um, in the high anion gap is your you're getting more of the anions coming from these unmeasured things. Yeah. We know and that it just looks like the gap is getting bigger. Yes, we know that if somebody has metabolic acidosis and the bicarbonate that's mopping up the hydrogen ions um, in this scenario, that the gap will be around about three to twelve. But in a situation where we can't take that into consideration, uh, sorry, we can't take into consideration the additional conjugate yeah. bases that are produced. So, for example, like you said, ketoacidosis, lactic acidosis. You know. and, and this is where the mud piles is. And that's why I pulled it up earlier. Mud piles, when you hear the mud piles. As a mnemonic for It only accounts acidosis. for high anion gap metabolic acidosis. Yeah. But the one we're going to use is all metabolic acidosis. It covers everything. So, okay. so that's high anion gap. Did you want to mention some of the types? Of high anion gap? Yeah. So all I the- I did. Okay. You happy with that? Keto acid- uh, 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 keto di- uh, diabetic. diabetic ketoacidosis. So that's, that's the classic way you'd get ketogenesis. Yeah. I mean, you can get it from alcoholism yes, and you true. can get it from starvation. Yes, that's true. But it's going to be less likely. You'll, you, you'll less frequent this situation than you would if it's a di- diabetic ketoacidosis state. And lactic acidosis are probably two of the major ones. So lactic acid, that's yeah. incorrect, right? Lactate. Well, no, well... Let's just, let's just go with lactic acid. So this is a situation where you haven't got enough oxygen yep. with the mitochondria That's or right. in the cell to drive Krebs cycle and the electron transport chain. So your cytoplasm makes ATP kind of without oxygen. Yep. And this is called anaerobic respiration. Yep. And this can be done short-term-ish. Yeah, it basically takes pyruvate, turns it into... Lactic acid, which turns into lactate. Uh, and, again, and this process is an acid. So it releases hydrogen ions. This may not necessarily be happening um, because we can't directly measure lactic acid in yeah. the body. We can measure lactate. That's present. Um, and we know that pyruvate can directly turn to lactate without needing to turn to lactic acid. So effectively it could be pyruvic acid turning into lactate but regardless, it could release a hydrogen ion. Okay. And so in this process, this does happen most predominantly when there's low oxygen as an alternate way to very quickly, not necessarily to produce ATP, but to produce the substrates that help produce ATP, so NADH and NAD+. Okay. Yep. All right. That's the reason why we go, we go down that pathway 
is to produce those carrier molecules that can then produce ATP downstream. But regardless, if a tissue is hypoxic, so it's- Yeah, so this is a good point. So we're not just talking about exercise here. We're not talking about me going for a 100-meter sprint and I get metabolic acidosis. (laughs) I'm talking about the fact that maybe I've got hypoperfusion of tissues- Um, or I've got a problem with the oxygen saturation of my blood or whatever it may be. But at the end of the day, if certain tissues of the body aren't getting enough oxygen, they undergo this process of trying to make energy without oxygen and that produces lactic acid or at least acid with lactate. So as, that's the conjugate base. As the conjugate base. And that would be add into the anion, which would exactly. create the gap. Which creates the gap so in the, the same way that the the keto base. So that would be produced. The that. keto base has been um, acetone. Yeah, hydroxybutyrate. Yeah, and yep. whatever the other one was. Yeah, acetyl acetate, something like that. Um, okay. Yeah. And so the the Are point. There any others for the, the, so the gap? They're the so, two majors. So the point obviously. there is, um, so like you said, you know, the patients that you're going to be seeing lactate issues with aren't um, sprinters. They are going to just get. A decrease in tissue perfusion, yeah. and that could be through situations like heart failure, yeah. uh, shock, yeah. um, any kind of hypo, hypovolemia mm. where they've lost blood or lots of fluid, and their yeah. tissues aren't being perfused with oxygen. Yes, yeah. exactly, exactly. So, all right. So, at the, at the end of what we've said <laughs> with metabolic acidosis, we've stated that clinically it's diagnosed by a drop in bicarbonate levels. Right, a concentration of bicarbonate. All, all metabolic acidosis, yes. Yes, right. All, me- all metabolic acidosis, that's the diagnostic, but that's representative of either an increase in hydrogen ions in the body, so an in- via an increased production or a decreased excretion, or it could directly be due to an increased excretion of bicarbonate, right? Regardless, we measure it by the bicarbonate. However, in addition to that, to determine one of the causes, you can look at the anion gap by adding up the positive and negative things. And if the anion gap is a normal anion gap that you'd expect to get from bicarbonate mopping up hydrogen ions without anything else happening, it'll be around about 3 to 12. Or if the anion gap is greater, it means there's more negative things present adding to the gap right? Yeah. The charge gap. And those negative things are usually conjugate bases from other events occurring like diabetic ketoacidosis and lactic acidosis. Yep. And cool with that? Yeah. All right. Did you want it? Now, the okay. mnemonic, right? Yep. Did you want something before the mnemonic? The only thing I'll say, do you want me to just to give now the example of a situation why you get the normal gap? Well, I was going to- Or do you want to do your mnemonic? The mnemonic sort of okay, explains, we'll explains it, right? So the mnemonic I've got explains all the, not all, but some of the major causes of both um, metabolic acidoses with or without an anion gap. Yep. So a high gap and a normal gap. Yep. And so this mnemonic is- Was this hard to make? No, it's pretty easy once you saw it. Uh, <laughs> L. Musk Shat. 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 L. Musk Shat. So this is- uh, Just L. Musk Shat. Potentially referring to a No, bit. not potentially okay. referring to anyone. Okay. And chat is past tense. Yes. <laughs> it has happened. Okay. Um, so L Musk, E-L. Oh, E-L. Right? Okay. Musk, chat. So let's go through it. Okay. E? E. Is uh, ethyl glycol. So we don't have this so frequently in Australia, but this is antifreeze, right? So this would yeah. be something yeah. you put in your radiator, stop freezing 
with sub-zero temperatures. Yeah, but we live in Queensland and I don't think it's gone <laughs> so, below zero. So the reason why years. this would be ingested would, it's just um, self-harm. Yeah. But it's a convenient substance that they decide to ingest. Yep. So there's nothing specific to that. It's just someone potentially sees it. No, I assume you can get a bit of a uh, high in the same way oh, that you okay. probably can with ethanol and methanol. Okay, all right. Um, but and but ethyl glycol is metabolized by the liver similarly to ethanol and methanol. Okay. Um, but what it ultimately produces is acids. Is acids. Yeah, and, and, it, and it does this by overproducing NADH, which is a carrier molecule for hydrogen ions that we use in metabolism, right? We shuttle hydrogen ions and electrons to the electron transport chain of the mitochondria using NADH. Um, and if you produce too much NADH, it means the ratio of NADH and NAD plus is out of whack. Okay. And it just means that you end up producing too many free hydrogen ions. Okay. Right? All right. And that's ethyl glycol. And I think so that becomes oxalytic acid. Uh, is it, it becomes oxalate Oxala crystals. And the oxalate so oxalate crystals. would be its base? Is that right? No, because you end up uh, – oxalate probably would become the base, um, but you end up producing oxalate crystals in the kidneys that sort of block it up in a yeah, way. Yeah, I think that's one form it. of kidney stones, right? Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, then the Good. L – in, in L muscle Well, that's a lacto lactate. Lactic acidosis, yeah. yeah. Okay. The M is methanol. And okay, methanol. So that's a, like a slight variation to ethanol. Yeah, one that really- Sends you could, blind. Yeah, in both ways. And, and <laughs> could uh, definitely kill you. But again, similar to the ethyl glycol, goes to the liver, gets metabolized. Uh, this time it doesn't- You become Ant-Man. Well, yeah. So what, what are you referring to there? Well, ants- Make formic acid. I yes. think part of their bite, isn't that right? Yes. Yeah, so, and uh, so your liver makes formic acid, and that's the acid forming molecule. Yeah, it creates formaldehyde, which then turns into formic acid, which produces the hydrogen ions, yep. and then again the metabolic acidosis. Okay. And a similar thing that the ethyl glycol with the NADH to NAD plus ratio gets out of whack. Uh, the U in L musk uh, is uremia or uric acid. Yeah. Right. So, again, another acid, yep. which is a byproduct of amino acid metabolism. That's probably the kidney not working. So yeah. it can't get rid of uric acid, so you become acidic. So you accumulate ammonia yep. and ammonium. Yep. Uh, then the S is salicylates. So these are painkillers or NSAIDs? Yeah, aspirin, basically. Okay, so it's pretty much just aspirin. Pretty much just aspirin, uh, which is salicylic acid. So I'm going to say one point here yep. because you can have – this overdose is it? I guess it would be considered an overdose, right? Yeah, I don't know what the quantity is required here. But to confuse the listeners, um, which Matt loves doing, this drug, let's say aspirin, can cause two forms of acid-base imbalance. Yeah. In the short term, so if you were to overdose in aspirin, in the short term, probably before it starts to get metabolized, it actually causes a change in the respiratory center. So you'd you'd actually develop um, a respiratory alkalosis because it speeds up your breathing rate. Okay. But as it gets metabolized, then it causes a metabolic acidosis. Great. Yeah, that, yeah. that was confusing. Uh, so the K is ketoacidosis, which we spoke about. Yeah. Uh, so we've done L musk. We've done L musk. Now we need to do shat. Okay. So the S is spironolactone. Spironolactone is a diuretic. Yeah. Potassium spironolactone diuretic. 
That's right. So what does that mean? Well, most of the other diuretics that play around with uh, the way that ions move in and out but will, from your filtrate back into your blood, therefore affecting water movement. So, so you take a diuretic, it basically says uh, just pee out more sodium. Or pee out, pour, pee out more ions. Ions. So wherever those ions go, water goes with the it. water goes with it. So you, so you get diuresis. Remove more fluid and that's good for edema, also congestive heart failure, yep. hypertension. Yeah, yep. okay. exactly. So you're saying here that spironolactone does well, the, that, the two, but it the says two, don't do potassium. Yeah, that's right. The two probably most – well, loop diuretic, which we spoke about at the start, that's the most powerful diuretic. That gets rid of potassium. So then the person might get potassium issues or low potassium issues. Same with the thiazide diuretics. diuretics. They could also lose potassium. But the potassium sparing one, like spirolactone, this will have a diuretic effect, but it retains potassium. So if a person has problems controlling their potassium levels predominantly in a low form, then using this drug could be beneficial. And the reason why this can result in an acidosis is because hydrogen, H+, loves to be swapped with another something plus, which is K+. And we know that if you've got a lot of, so most of the potassium sits inside cells, and if you're producing a bunch of hydrogen, hydrogen, it's usually outside the cells. And so one way that the body can sort of buffer out hydrogen ions is by letting it jump into cells. But it needs the, but because it's got a positive charge, you can't just throw a bunch of positive things inside of a cell. It needs to be balanced out. So it swaps it with another positive thing, which is potassium. And so the reason why spironolactone can result in acidemia or metabolic acidosis is because if it's throwing more potassium into the body, that potassium is going to be swapped with hydrogen ions. Okay, so there could be both the way it's handled at the kidney, but also the way that the cells shuffle potassium and hydrogen. So is it so spironolactone is keeping What's, the potassium spir- in the blood? Spironolactone it acts on the same way as aldosterone does, which is but it blocks it. Well, it's just a sodium water reabsorber, but okay. it does the counter effect. All right. So, so technically speaking, if you had a person who had, I think Addison's disease, which is a low aldosterone secretion state, it would be the same effect as taking spironolactin. Okay. So exp- so. So I think aldosterone is a hormone released by the adrenal gland. Yep. What does it adrenal do? Adrenal cortex. Yep. Which goes to the distal convoluted tubule. And I think because it's fat soluble, it just puts more sodium pumps. I think. Right. Sodium, sodium potassium pumps, but I think also sodium carriers, which I think at least on the apical surface of the nephron, yep. it, the way it exchanges sodium and hydrogen but also there would be a potassium-hydrogen effect. And that ultimately, I mean, the take-home point here is you are losing, oh, no, I'm going the wrong way. That, well, that's how it normally would work. That's how it normally would work. You, would lose, you would lose potassium and you yep. would hold on to it. But it, now it's blocking it, so you're doing the opposite effect. Yes, yes. Yep. Good job. Uh, did you confuse it more or did you get it? Well, you're... In the the normal effect of <laughs> the normal effect of um, aldosterone, aldosterone, you're yeah. losing potassium, 
and you're retaining sodium and water. Yes. So okay. you're dehydrated. Okay. So if you're if if you've got a problem with sodium concentration in your body or you're dehydrated, your kidney or your blood so your blood volume's low, for example, or your blood pressure's low, your kidneys may trigger the release of aldosterone, which travels to the distal convoluted tubules. Says keep the salt in the body. Water will follow. Bulk up blood volume. Bulk up blood blood pressure. But again, if you're swapping, if you're pulling a positive thing into the body, you've got to swap it for another positive thing, which is usually potassium. So then that potassium, if sodium's been thrown back in the body, the potassium must be thrown back into the pee. And so you pee the potassium out, which means you can become hypokalemic. Kalemic. But if you're blocking it with spironolactone, then the potassium stays in the body. And then mm. we can, if you've got more potassium in the body, then you can swap that potassium with yeah, hydrogen ions. That's where I got it wrong. That's yep. in the cells, yep. and then the hydrogen ions jump out of the cells, increase in the extracellular fluid, and now you've got acidosis. Acidosis, right? Yep. Now that also then leads to uh, the H in Shat, which is hypoaldosteronism. Yeah, which is basically the same as the one above it. Yeah, so, so one's a condition, one's a drug. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, exactly. Stopping aldosterone is just like. Giving someone spironolactone. Yeah. Um, and then acetazolamide. So that is also a diuretic. Yeah. But that works at the proximal convoluted tubule. Right. And this is typically given, I, I think it's an anhydrase inhibitor. Yeah. So that's a enzyme that smashes water and carbon dioxide together. Okay. Or okay. it could also smash hydrogen and uh, bicarbonate together to make, to, to make carbonic acid. Right. So okay. why why would you want to give somebody the, a drug that binds carbon dioxide with water? Well, in this case, you are trying – well, you can get rid of water this way, so it is a diuretic. Okay. Okay, but it's typically also used in cases of mountain, mountain altitude sickness. Yep. And so here, which I'm going to – we'll get to later when we get to respiratory alkalosis. Yep. Okay. But in the in the case of respiratory alkalosis – you are breathing off too much CO2. Yep. So you become in basic from a respiratory driven process. Yep. So you would give this drug, what's it called? Aspironolactone, uh, no. acetazolamide. Right. Yep. You'd give that and that would try to counter the alkalosis problem by okay. holding on to more um, acid. All right, cool. All right. And, and so, therefore, too much of this drug or a side effect of it is to become acidic. Now, the T in uh, SHAT is uh, tubular acidosis, so specifically renal tubular acidosis. Um, Top two, yeah. So what's that mean? Same location, pretty much the same location as that drug that we just mentioned. Say it again. Uh, Acetazolamide. (laughs) Matt's not very good with names. So the PCT PCT is the location of the kidney that reabsorbs 99% of your bicarbonate. Now, if you were to have a condition that affects its ability to reabsorb, you're going to be just losing potassium. So you're just peeing out potassium from this type of tubular necrosis. So that's why you're leading to an acidosis because you're just not reabsorbing the bicarbonate at the PCT, the proximal convoluted tubule. It's staying in the filtrate and you're peeing it out. Right. So in this case, it's not about raising hydrogen ions. It's about reducing bicarbonate. Yeah. So this one would be a low anion gap form of metabolic acidosis. And then even though we've done El Musk Shat, the final part of this, which we haven't said. We've, we've forgotten an important one. We have. So th- when you hear the word Shat, think diarrhea, and that's the very last term. So diarrhea is the very last way. And that makes sense because 
You're going to produce bicarbonate from your pancreas to neutralize your stomach acid once it's in the first part of your small intestines. And usually it binds with the bile and you reabsorb it back into your body and you reutilize it. But if you have diarrhea, there's no time for reabsorption of the bicarbonate. It just poops out and you can lose excess bicarbonate through diarrhea. Does that make sense? So you could say El Musk shats and just add an S at the end. Yeah, for squirts. Yeah. (laughs) All right. And again, El Musk isn't referring to anyone in particular. So that is metabolic (laughs) acidosis. Great. Great. What now? That's the the hardest one. That's the hardest one. That's why I'll put it first. Let's go home. So now we go to the opposite end. Well, actually, before we move on, we we should just talk about how this would look on an ABG. Yep. And then what you may expect the respiratory center to be doing or the respiratory system to be doing. Or maybe just what you would expect the compensation mechanism to be. So as we said, if you did an ABG uh, strip, so yep. that would be looking at the pH. What do you mean strip? What, what, I don't know. What that's what it's hell? called. Okay. Just say a blood gas. If you did a blood gas, the things you'd be looking at to yep. confirm the metabolic acidosis yep. would be a pH. By definition, has to be a low. Then we look at CO2. At this point, we'll, we'll just call it normal. Right. But bicarbonate is going to be low. Okay. And that's the reason for why it's a metabolic acidosis because it's driven by a low bicarbonate. Okay. Okay. Happy with that? I'm happy. Now, whether it's now going to be compensated, we would then look at the CO2. Okay. Now, if the CO2, if the pH is still out of range, it can't be compensated right. because it hasn't, the, the respiratory center hasn't, respiratory system hasn't done a good, good enough job to pull the metabolic acidosis into a normal state. Mm-hmm. It's still out of a, the pH range. It's still in a uh, acidemic Range does that make sense? But if the respiratory system has pulled it into the normal range, it's now considered comp- uh, compensated. Okay, so if you had a situation where a person has metabolic acidosis, what would you expect the respiratory center to do? Well, if the acid goes up in the body, you would assume that it would try to bind it with bicarbonate and produce carbon dioxide. And get you to breathe it out. Yeah. So the respiratory system would be increasing its breathing rate. So you would probably expect your patient to have hyperanemia. <laughs> uh, what is it? Not brady, bradypnea, but... It, it's talking about... Tachypnea. There we go. Okay. So they would be tachypneic, yep. meaning they're breathing excessively quick. And yep. you see that as a classic example of DKA. They got something called Kussmaul breathing, which is a fast, deep type of breathing rate because they're trying to get rid of the acid via their respiratory system. Okay. So if you, so you're saying now that somebody who's uncompensated will have low bicarbonate, normal carbon dioxide. Yes, that's right. But somebody who's attempting to compensate will have low bicarbonate, but also low carbon dioxide because they are hypercapnic, right? That's right. Well, they were, well, they're not hypercapnic. They're, they're, like you said, tacky, tacky. Well, they're oh, it's, sorry, carbon dioxide, high co- yes, carbon. Yes, the carbon dioxide levels are low now yeah. because you're hyperventilating yeah. to breathing That's to right. breathe so out all that carbon dioxide. Correct. So both bicarbonate and carbon dioxide levels are low, indicating a respiratory compensation of metabolic acidosis. Yeah. So there's a degree of compensation here. Yeah. Okay. Now, whether that's good enough 
to bring the pH back into the normal range. If it's now brought it back into the normal range, you would say it's a fully compensated metabolic acidosis. Yep. Okay. Um, now can we move to yeah. alkalosis, metabolic yep. alkalosis, you think? Yes. Okay. Uh, so metabolic alkalosis, um, when we take a look at metabolic alkalosis, uh, basically you're- It is basically, yeah. Yeah, evaluating it by a, an increase in bicarbonate. Yeah, so yeah. you're going to have a, a blood pH that's- Higher than oh, 7.45. Yep. And you're going to see increases, increase amounts of bicarbonate. Which can represent either a decrease in hydrogen. Well, it yeah, will yeah. represent a decrease in hydrogen ion concentration through either a lack of hydrogen ion production or an increase in hydrogen ion excretion or an accumulation of bicarbonate production or reabsorption or yep. holding on to it. Or a combination of all. Or a combination of yep. all. So um, – what are some causes of this? So let's, let's start with the loss of hydrogen. Yep. The most common way you can lose hydrogen in the body is just vomiting. All right. Yeah, that makes sense. So this would just be um, gastroenteritis where you've just eaten something dodgy or something that has a microorganism in it yep. and you're just excessively vomiting, losing lots of hydrochloric acid, therefore losing lots of free hydrogen. Yep. And that is going to put you in a basic state or alkalosis state. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. What else? Yeah. Then the other ones would be um, gaining bicarbonate. So the situations where you're um, taking on or you are having more bicarbonate than you typically should. Mm -hmm. And so you could do this through ingesting bicarbonate. One of the most common ways that this would happen is that if you took an antacid. Oh, yeah. Too many antacids. Yeah. So that would be like. Sodium bicarbonate, yeah, I think is most common. Yep. So typically, a person may take this if they've got reflux, or so you've had that before because you've got re- had a reflux. Yeah. So what would you've taken? Um, well, a PPI, but that's not a an antacid. Well, it's in a way an antacid because it blocks protons, but it doesn't make you alkalinic. But there are oral, um antacids that you can take. So like Mylanta. Yeah, like Mylanta. I was just trying to think. But they, I think the active ingredient is sodium bicarbonate. Yeah. Um, and again, it just tries to mop up all the excess hydrogen ions. Yep. So if you were to have excessive amounts of these antacids yeah. and you were taking in lots and lots of bicarbonate, yep. then you would be shifting the, the, the pH towards an alkalosis state yep. by yep. taking on more, more base. And- Often, uh, metabolic alkalosis is going to be associated with high urine chloride levels. And so things like licorice, you have too much licorice, um, excess alkali, for example, like you were stating, uh, refeeding alkalosis and diuretics, it can also result in high urine chloride levels as well. and. Yeah. That has to do with also the fact that bicarbonate and chloride tend to be exchanged often. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And that also takes us back to the, the low or the normal gap metabolic acidosis. Yeah. The, the thing that's taking up the weight of bicarbonate loss in the normal anion gap is chloride. Yes. And so metabolic acidosis with a normal gap would actually result in high amounts of chloride in the body because yeah. that is – making the gap smaller yep. because you're actually 
bringing up the chloride to counter the loss of the bicarbonate. That's right. But And you're actually measuring that in the blood test. Yep. Yeah. Yep, exactly. Um, other things that can cause... Well, high amounts of aldosterone, so that's the kind of opposite to what we saw in the acidosis. Cushing's? So having too much um, aldosterone. Cushing's? Well, the Cushing's is also cortisol. Okay. But because it's coming from the cortex, it can result in the aldosterone as well. Like, yeah. Um, and then my example at the start with you taking diuretic. Oh, yeah. The loop diuretic. Yeah. Loop diuretic. Because when I said, what is the the location where you reabsorb most of your bicarbonate in your kidneys. Proximal convoluted tubule. So you've reabsorbed 99% of your bicarbonate there. Yep. Loop diuretics, they work the ascending loop of Henle. So that's past yep. the yep. PCT. Yep. So with these diuretics, you're losing potassium, chloride, yep. and um, sodium, yep. plus a lot of water. And as a result, you're actually losing lots of body water but you're not losing bicarbonate relative to that body water loss. Right. So right, you're actually right. proportionally gaining high, uh, bicarbonate. Yeah. So you're actually becoming alk- alkalytic yep. from that additional or excessive amounts of base. Right. So loop diuretics can also lead to a metabolic alkalosis. Anything else for metabolic alkalosis? I think that's all. All right. You can have, uh, it can be due to blood loss too. Okay. Right. Um, okay. So again, anything that's going to reduce the bicarb, uh, increase the bicarbonate in the blood, or reduce the hydrogen ions yep. in the blood. Right. Respiratory. This is easy, or at least easier. Yeah. Oh no, we need to talk about. Sorry, with res- uh, uh, metabolic alkalosis, we need to talk about what it looks like on the ABG. Okay. So right? and b- compensation. So pH will be in the higher range. So yep. generally. Beyond 7.4, yep. but typically outside 7.45. Yep. Now, to make it metabolic, it has to be, there has to be a bicarbonate issue. Yep, it has to be high. So it has to be high. So you're going to see the, the, the pH being high and you're going to see the bicarbonate being high. Yep, and okay. the CO2 should be normal if so, it hasn't attempted right. any compensation. So, yeah, what you would expect the... The respiratory center. Why do I keep saying center? Well, the respiratory the respiratory center should be in this yeah. case depressed. So right? yeah. So you should be trying to hold on to carbon dioxide, and that's going to try and raise carbon dioxide levels. So if the p the partial pressure or the PCO two is elevated on your ABG, it's going to be a good indication that you're going to have an, an attempted compensation from the respiratory system. By holding on to that CO2. Yeah, that's right. Right? So you're, you, would, you would expect your patients, if they are in a state of metabolic al- alkalosis, you yep. would expect their breathing rate to be bratty panique, which is slower. Yes, Okay, because right. they're trying to hold on to the CO2. CO2 with water is an acid. So to try to counter the alkalosis. Yeah. And again, on a blood gas, if it was uncompensated metabolic acidosis, you would see the pH being high, the bicarbonate high, and the CO2 normal. Yeah. Okay. If yeah. it was partially compensated, you would see the pH high, the bicarbonate high, but the CO2 in a higher amount. Yes. So because Everything it's trying to high. compensate. Yep. And if it's fully compensated, the pH would now be in the normal range. Yeah. So it'd bring it back into the normal range because it's now compensated well enough for it. That's it. Exactly. 
Now we can do respiratory. Yeah. This is a lot easier because remember that equation that we spoke about at the beginning, that modified Henderson-Hasselbach equation, carbon dioxide uh, with concentration of bicarbonate at the top and partial pressure of carbon dioxide down the bottom. Here we're just focusing on carbon dioxide. So by definition, respiratory-based acidosis alkalosis has to do with CO2 levels, right? And so easily put, if you have an increase in carbon dioxide levels and it corresponds with a decrease in pH, you're going to have a respiratory acidosis. So you've got a pH that's now below 7.35 and the CO2 levels are high. Now the bicarbonate levels are normal, right? And so this is a respiratory acidosis. So if we want to think about causes of this, it's pretty simple, right? At least it's a lot easier than metabolic because at the end of the day, the problem is not getting rid of the CO2. So just follow the respiratory tract and think of all the things that allow for you to remove CO2. So it's the tract itself. So the tubing, it's the alveoli, it's the respiratory membrane, it's the blood that's flowing to and from the lungs, it's the musculature and the skeletal system associated with the lamb for this movement to occur. And the respiratory center. And the yeah, and that's right, and the nervous impulses, so the nervous system also. So you can have, for example, a problem with the brain and brainstem. So you can have a lesion that's stopping the respiratory centers in the medulla from allowing for you to breathe, so you can't breathe out. Um, you could have um, the, the neurons themselves are damaged. So you could have lower motor neuron problems that's inhibiting it. You could have the muscles. So you can have a problem with the diaphragm itself or the intercostals. You can have a problem with the external intercostal muscles and the ribs, which is going to be difficult, right? Um, because while inspiration might be affected, exhalation might also be affected. So holding on to that CO2. Uh, you can have a reduction in the uh, surface area of your respiratory membrane. So you could have something like chronic obstructive pulmonary disease like emphysema where you destroy the alveoli, your surface area is reduced, less carbon dioxide can diffuse across into your lungs to be breathed out. Or you can have an obstruction. So you can have a narrowing of the airways like in asthma or in chronic bronchitis. And again, this is going to reduce the CO2 from being able to be expelled. You could also have a depression in the respiratory centers like opiates, so morphine, for example, can severely depress respiration. Mm-hmm. So any of these things that result in CO2 increasing will result or can result in respiratory acidosis. Yep. The compensation you'd expect, because high CO2 means more acid, you'd expect the bicarbonate to go up as well to try and buffer it out. And so if you have a low pH, high CO2, and a high bicarbonate, you would think, well, that's a respiratory acidosis through renal compensation. Okay. Yeah. Right? And then one way- but Long-term. Yeah. The, well, this is a good point because w- when we look at the respiratory, because um, unlike the opposite where we saw the metabolic issues where it was a bicarbonate either high or low, yeah. the respiratory system works or compensates within seconds. Yeah. And so the metabolic acidosis and alkalosis- will only be in the one form. Yeah. But when we look at the respiratory, because we rely on the compensation from the kidney, we can actually break them into two subtypes. We can have a respiratory acidosis, which is acute, and a respiratory acidosis, which is chronic. Yeah. Because if you were to develop a respiratory uh, acidosis acutely, like you were to have um, an obstruction or opioids, or, oh, opioids yeah. yeah where you are now retaining CO2 yep. in a very short period of time, there's no way your kidneys can compensate 
within minutes, hours, or even half the day. So you should it, see high CO2, normal bicarbonate. That's right, because it hasn't had the chance to compensate. But if you have a condition like COPD, where it's a chronic obstructive condition and you are holding on to CO2, your kidneys are likely to compensate with bumping up the bicarbonate to so, counter that. So now my question to you is a longer term respiratory acidosis where the CO2 is high, but also the bicarbonate is high, is no different than having a uh, high bicarbonate with a high compensatory CO2, which you get in metabolic alkalosis. Yep. So how do you know that it's not metabolic alkalosis as opposed to a longer-term respiratory acidosis? You just have to look at the which derangement is closer to the pH shift. And yeah. so if it's more profound in the... So the one way I use, and it's a fairly famous mnemonic to when you're looking at your blood gases, I use the word Rome, mm-hmm. R-O-M-E. Okay. Okay. So Like all roads lead to. That's right. Yeah. So the R refers to respiratory, mm-hmm. O refers to opposite. Okay. So if you see a pH shift where the respiratory goes the other way to the pH. Yep. And we know the respiratory is CO2. So if you had a drop in pH, yep. but CO2 goes up, right? See how they go in opposite ways? Yep. That's a respiratory cause. CO2 induced. Yeah. But if the pH goes up and the CO2 goes up, you're assuming that it's, well, you know it's an alkalosis because the pH has gone up by definition. It's yep. an alkalosis. Yep. And the CO2 has gone up to try and what? Well, presumably to try to compensate for it. Yeah. So, but you'd also need to look at the bicarbonate to see, because that then you have the Rome, the ME part, metabolic, equal. Yeah. Or basically meaning it goes in the same direction as a pH shift. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. So yes, while you might be going, wait a minute, a high bicarbonate and a high CO two. You see that in respiratory acidosis, long term compensation, but you also see that in metabolic alkalosis compensation. Look at the pH. Yeah. The pH will tell you the difference. Um, and, and there is ways that I think they can calculate the compensation. I think there's a formula. I think it's called Winter's Formula. Yeah, that's it. Which looks at how well it's compensating by bicarbonate, essentially. Respiratory alkalosis? Well, first of all, I've got to give you my nice mnemonic that I came up with for respiratory acidosis. Do we need one? Yes, we do need one. Oh, okay. I thought it was pretty simple because you can just go through the tractor. But that's fine. Yes, go, 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 go. Yeah, everyone so wants to hear my you. <laughs> Terrible. Is it as good as L Musk? I think it's better, actually. Ooh, here we go. So, I um, bet you it's M. Todorovic shat. <laughs> so respiratory acidosis, the common causes of it, the way you can remember it is CO2. So CO, like carbon dioxide. And the number CO, two. And number two. No, no, no. The, <laughs> the word two. The, the word two. All right. Okay. C-O-T-W-O. Yep. All right. What's C? So C stands for, we'll call it COPD. Chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, yep. which can constitute asthma, uh, chronic bronchitis, and emphysema. Yep. All right. That's good. That's good because o, that's an obstruction. Yep. yep. Edema. O, yes. If you're Australian or British. Yes. O-E-D-E-M-A. Wait a minute. Not peripheral edema. No, pulmonary. Okay, so if you've got too much fluid in your lungs, you're saying that the CO2 can't diffuse across the membrane. That's right. Stays in the blood. Yep. Respiratory acidosis. Yes. Okay, very good. So T. T, trauma. Trauma. Uh, I assume trauma to some aspect of the respiratory system or tract that reduces your ability to 
Yeah, ven- ventilate, and- ventilate, ventilate. Okay, Probably yeah. more the trauma. I would say more associated with the nervous the system, outer breathing mechanics. So right, if you've got muscle, broken muscle ribs skeletal. or yeah, that's right, that's right. You don't want to really ventilate because it it's painful. All right, all right. So that's T W weakness. So this would weakness. be muscular you. weakness oh, of yeah. the so all the ones you spoke about being, you know, uh, muscular. Uh, Motor neuron disease, disease or weaknesses in the, the chest wall. Yep. Uh, myasthenia gravis. Yep. Yep. Okay, cool. And the last one's got a few. It's O. O. Okay, there's a few that you could put in here. Edema. We you did could that. put <laughs> You could put opioids. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Or you, technically you could do um, overdose opioids. Oh, so double O. Yeah. So two. Actually, there's three O's here. Oh, okay. Opiates, overdose. Yeah, the overdose would be, you know, sedatives as well. Right. But I don't want to use that because that's S. Like barbiturates. Yes, that's yep. right. Okay. And the other O would be obesity. So obesity would lead How? to a hyperventilation because you've got increased intra-abdominal pressure, right. which then kind of counters the intra-thoracic pressure you need for breathing dynamics. So you would your uh, ventilation would be reduced. So you'd, right. you'd develop a hyperventilation. Oh, Okay. So I like that CO2. That's an easy one to remember. Good job for once, Matt. Uh, respiratory uh, alkalosis. So this is going to be defined by simply a drop in CO2. Yep. And I think this one finishing on the easiest. Uh, main cause, uh, like you mentioned earlier in the case study, hyperventilation due well, to all, anxiety. All causes of respiratory Alkalosis is hyperventilation. Is hyperventilation like the, the the opposite? The respiratory acidosis is hypoventilation, yeah. meaning low ventilation. Now this is too much ventilation. Yes, so this could be. So you're losing lots of CO2. Anxiety, which is probably the most common cause of respiratory alkalosis. Uh, again, central brain stem issues. So you could have uh, a lesion in the brain, okay. or you could have like. Salicylates, yes. like you said earlier. Uh, caffeine. Uh, Does caffeine do it? Yeah. Okay. Um, do you have a mnemonic? Yeah, I got one. Right. What is it? I what? see you've written pants. So, like wearing pants? No, like. I oh, like a dog pants. Yeah. Right. Like my dog wears pants. All right. So, <laughs> um, how? What? What do you mean? All right. So, pants is your mnemonic to remember. The causes, the common causes of respiratory alkalosis. Yeah, which is okay. hypoventilation. Hyperventilation. Oh, yes, sorry, hyperventilation. Okay, so, so P- you've said pants, that makes sense. Okay. So PE PE is the first one for P. Physical education. <laughs> oh, pulmonary. Embolism. Embolism. All right. Whoa, whoa, so, whoa, wait. So if you've got a pulmonary, because I'm just trying to figure this through, because you've got all your mnemonics are ridiculous. So you've got an embolism, which is a clot, okay, a blood clot. <laughs> A blood clot, which is there at the lungs, and it's stopping perfusion at the lungs, which means you've got a mismatch in ventilation perfusion. Yeah. Um, so you have constriction of the pulmonary arterioles. In that region. In that region, which means you've just got a lack of CO2 being expelled. So is that right? No. Okay. You'd be, it'd be the compensation for that PE. So you'd actually be going to a hyperpanemic state. So you'd be breathing excessively. Because- Less oxygen is getting into yep. the blood. More CO2 is accumulating. Bronchioles dilate. You hyperventilate. So I would expect with a PE, you'd have both a drop in O2 and you'd have a drop in CO2. Yeah. 
Right. Well, you, yes, I think the O2 Unlike would be the, the driver. The, I, the O2 would be the driver for the increased ventilation rate. Because, so for example, if I was admitted into ED uh, for, for anxiety and I had a respiratory. Well, that's going to be the A. Right. Okay, sorry. <laughs> so let's just, uh, yeah, but I'm just highlighting. The, okay, so PA, so you got pulmonary edema and anxiety. I have anxiety, I hyperventilate because that's mm. just what happens. <laughs> and I breathe off all the carbon dioxide. You would expect my oxygen levels to be really high, but my CO2 levels to be really low, yeah. the opposite direction. Yeah. But with the PE, because there's something blocking overall gas exchange, you're going to have not just low CO2, but also low O2 as Possibly, well. Possibly, yeah. And so uh, that would be It would depend on the the severity of the clot. Yes. You know, that, if it's a big clot and you're losing, you know, a whole lung, sure. that could be more an issue than por- portions of a lung. Okay, yeah. so what's N? Actually, you could since you said that, you could add another... P to it. Yeah, because everyone have, wants to do that. You could have pain as well. So okay. if you have pain, you generally hyperventilate. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. N. A. Oh, a today. Anxiety. <laughs> oh, actually, N was a hard one. Oh, here we go. I haven't come up with it. I actually, <laughs> well, no oxygen. Well, what I was trying to <laughs> no do. No oxygen. What I was trying to come up with at the N <laughs> is um, essentially altitude sickness. Okay. So a situation with nil, nil oxygen or no very, low, very low oxygen. Okay, no air. That's fine, no air. No air. There we go. That's a good one. No it's, air. What's that song that goes, can't breathe with no air? Yep. No air, no air. There we go. So if you, if you, can't, you can't breathe with no air. So yeah. if Amelia. you- Does Amelia sing? You wouldn't, you wouldn't have a clue. No, no. I've, I played this in my, one of my lectures at the start of the respiratory. Is it Amelia? No. Anyway, you, you talk, I'll figure it out. It's a British singer. Yeah, okay. So I can talk to personal experience with this one. Yeah. When I was in South America backpacking. Jordan Sparks. There we go. Yeah. She's British, right? Uh, maybe. Okay. But yeah. So anyway, go on. So when I was in South America backpacking, we were in the top of Chile and we decided to go into Bolivia. Yeah. Okay. We're going to get copyright. No, because we're infringes. doing it to, to get, a, get our point across. Actually, I will have to delete this off YouTube. <laughs> anyway. So if you're listening to this on YouTube, uh, a very small section got cut out because I played Nowhere by Jordan Sparks and realized that we would have been flagged for breach of copyright. So thanks. Anyway, go on. So when I was in, back, back in, in South America, oh, I was yeah, on the top no of Chile. Yeah, we all wish that you stayed there. I um, <laughs> caught a bus from Chile into Bolivia. What's the distance? And no, it was probably two Ks. No, it was like a six day, six hour six? trip. Right. Okay. Okay. But it goes from so sea like level. I drive from my house to your place. <laughs> sea level. Yeah. To close to 4,000 meters above sea level. Oh boy. Which you can't do in six hours in Australia. You shouldn't. Unless yeah. you hop on a spaceship. <laughs> <laughs> so um, as you're going up the mountain. Yes. To ho- higher altitude. Get a bit lightheaded. The... Partial pressure of oxygen changes, right? I would assume so, yeah. Because there's less atmosphere above us. Yeah. So the partial pressure changes. So therefore, our ability to get oxygen across yep. diminishes. And as a compensation to low oxygen, we breathe quicker to try to get more in. Yeah. Okay. And by hyperventilating, you would blow off CO2. Yeah, makes sense. And so people who are, who are at altitude, if they haven't... Um, climatized, they are hyperventilating and they're losing CO2, which can then push them into a respiratory alkalosis state. 
So for every 100 metres or 328 feet that you increase in altitude, your atmospheric pressure decreases by one kilopascal. And so if you were to ascend a 1,000 metre or 3,280 feet mountain from sea level, your atmospheric pressure would decrease by 10 kilopascals. And so that is a significant amount. Yeah, it was probably too much. Yeah. Uh, My friend got severely sick. Yeah. I was just, you know, had limited energy doing much for the next couple of days. I couldn't. We were in La Paz, which is Bolivia. I wasn't sick. He was. He was in bed for two days. He was almost to the point where we, he didn't, when we crossed the border into Bolivia, he had visa issues. Yeah. And he couldn't get get in. Wow. And so he's like, just leave me here. God. And it was in a mountain pass. (laughs) See, it changes. So how's this, right? So if you ascend a thousand meters, the atmospheric pressure decreases, like I said, by 10 kilopascals. Um, what that means is that your partial pressure in the form of millimeters of mercury go from the partial pressure of oxygen at sea level being 160 millimeters yeah. of mercury down to 85 millimeters of mercury. And which, that's why they actually tell you, you probably only should go up a thousand meters a day or something, right? Yeah. Which isn't great. No. Because the partial pressure of oxygen in your alveoli needs to be at about 100 millimetres of mercury for it to cross Mm. the respiratory membrane. Anyway, that's not good. So um, So he was crook. I wasn't wasn't so bad, but I couldn't walk up a flight of stairs without having to stop. Because you can get pulmonary edema too if you're not careful. Which you probably or cerebral edema. Still, oh, that's what I meant. Sorry, mm. cerebral edema, which I think you probably still have. So, <laughs> what's the T in pants? Um, oh, now I've got a. Oh, here we go. You forgot that one. What too. is this one for? Respiratory, <laughs> alco- <laughs> Respiratory alkalosis. Ah, yeah. uh, tumor. So, tumor of the brainstem makes which sense. Would increase the speed of breathing. All right. S. And that's the salicylates again. Oh yeah, that's right. But sh- this is short term. I need to stress. This is short term. Yeah. Acidosis is long term. Yeah. So the the. Um, the alkalosis is due to the binding of the drug itself to specific receptors, but the acidosis is due to the nature of the drug being a broken down acid. Yeah. Yes, the metabolism yeah, of the drug. Right. Yeah, and that's why it takes a bit longer for that to kick in. Yes. Um, so you could technically okay. have a respiratory alkalosis yeah. and a metabolic acidosis from too much aspirin. Yeah. There you go. There's, it, look, it's confusing, isn't it? And I think we may have made it worse for people. But No, I think we got there in the end. Well, I hope so. I hope so. Anything else we need to cover, Matt? Or do I need to sing Jordan Sparks um, and Chris Brown's No Air by myself? I'm not going to sing it. What's the lyrics? The lyrics are... <clears throat> it, do, do you think everyone would want to hear No, I don't think so. It starts like this. Ooh, 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 ooh. Okay, no, we won't do that. We've got some uh, uh, emails to read from our dear listener who's sent us multiple emails. I'll start with, (laughs) I'll start, I'm not sure if this is spam or not, but I'll read it. This is from Rachel. Okay. And the subject is Instagram. Do we have an Instagram uh, channel? Nope. Okay, because the message was just letting you know the link does not work. But I think that might have been just a... What link? Just to let you know, your IG link doesn't work. Are you on IG? I'd like to follow you. No, I think uh, maybe our uh, website has an Instagram link and it's not linked properly. Anyway. Thank you for letting us know, Rachel. Yeah. I'm so glad you read that one out on the podcast. (laughs) 
<laughs> Matt, uh, I've got one from Barb. Uh, Barb's subject is fatty liver. And then the question is, Matt. why do you keep Matt on the podcast? <laughs> uh, it says, do you have any videos on, on bile after gallbladder removal and also any videos on bile acid diarrhea? I've developed both after gallbladder removal. Thanks. Uh, uh, love your informative videos. Incredible teaching. Thank you, Barb. Appreciate that. And I'm sorry to hear that you've developed those after your, you've, your cholecystectomy. Um, I've got a video on bile formation and I've got a video um, which sort of uh, talks about what happens after cholecystectomy and gallbladder removal, but nothing specific in regards to, you know, bile acid, diarrhea and so forth. Matt and I will have a chat and we'll talk about we still I need think to we do did, we, did we do gallstones and an episode yeah yeah a couple I thought of years we did ago. on podcast yeah so maybe type in gallbladder gallstones bile into podcasts and have a look we've got a lot of podcast episodes I think we have done an episode on it but maybe not a video so Barb you might not even be listening to this so <laughs> uh, but if you watch the YouTube channel Barb hopefully you will see this. Matt, what this do you one's got? from Bonnie. Yep. Bonnie, it's very quick email says, thank you. You guys are amazing. Thank you for everything you do. Oh, that's very kind. Thank you, Bonnie. Um, we thank you for the email. Uh, I've got one from Maxine and it's a topic request. Hey, doctors, I was hoping to request a topic that I thought you guys would be able to explain really well, which is ATP energy system and anaerobic versus aerobic, how your body is using creating energy. Maxine, I've done this. I have done this. I'm sounding like Donald Trump now, by the way I speak. Uh, well, I've sort of done this. Um, if you go to our YouTube channel, uh, I have done videos on this, typing glycolysis, Krebs cycle, um, electron transport chain. I sort of speak about this. But we do need to do a podcast episode on energy systems. Did we, we do one? Did we? You mean yeah, like I feel like we did. Metabolism? We did metabolism, but I don't think we did. We like did glycolysis. Versus, yeah, we did that. So we did metabolism, but not necessarily energy systems. Like, for example, when you turn on creatine phosphate and then when you turn on... We, we spoke about it briefly. Yeah. But, Maxine... And, and the pool of time you've got to work with yeah, these I systems. I feel like we spoke a bit about that. So maybe listen to our carbohydrate metabolism episode. I think that was a pretty good one. Yeah. Unlike this one. Uh, Matt- this, this is from Carl. Carl says, subject, thanks. Hey, Dr. Matt and Dr. Oh, Dr. Mike. Dr. Carl. Thanks, Dr. Carl. Uh, <laughs> I think you're better than uh, me. Uh, oh, thank you, Dr. Carl. Um, you definitely know a lot more than I do, and I wish that you would take. Dr. Carl over has like 37, 37 books. So you've got a long way to go, Michael. Yeah, I need to write one. <laughs> thanks, Dr. Matt and Dr. Mike. Thanks for your amazing podcast and YouTube. I used to listen for fun, but now I'm studying a Bachelor of Exercise Physiology on my way to a PhD. Nice where I want to research free weight training for seniors as a way to help osteopenia and sarcopenia problems. Love it. Really love your work. Thank you, Carl. That's awesome. Good on you. And good luck. Yeah, absolutely. Let us know. Let us know. uh, How you progress. Yeah, and if you need PhD supervisors, let us know. Um, That's cool. I think that that is a huge area of research focus that people need to look at, osteopenia and sarcopenia, because obviously – why are you, looking at, you why get, looking at me? Because the older you get, Matt, the more you start to just diminish in muscularity and bone density. And I think it must have happened early with you. So, Do you think I have denser bones than you? I think you've got a denser skull than me. But apart from that... That's because I'm proportionally more Neanderthal. True. Um, 
Well, if you have, I th- well, I'm more European than you are. No, that, doesn't that mean that th- I'm North European? What does that mean? From the northern parts of Europe. Okay. No, I said, what does that mean? <laughs> relevant anyway. I don't know. Uh, We're going to get in, yeah. in trouble one day. I think we will probably get in trouble after this one, especially for the El Musk chat uh, mnemonic. He'll probably, he'll probably like it. He probably will. Or he'll probably just remove me from X. Uh, thank you, ladies and gentlemen, friends and foe. <laughs> uh, we know who the foe is. Um, probably most of the listeners. Thank you, Matt. If you want to contact us, you can send us an email, gubiosciences at gmail.com. You can go to our website, drmattdrmike.com.au, and you can email us from there. And you can follow us on social media at drmiketodorovic at D-R-M-I-K-E-T-O-D-O-R-O-V-I-C on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, uh, and maybe some others. Can't remember. Uh, This has been a near two-hour episode, so I'm tired and I'm going to get some lunch. Matt, peace out, homeboy. See you, buddy.